new series is called Made for More. Would you, just, would you just pray this with me for a minute? Would you just say, dear Jesus, make me brave. Make me strong. Make me what you dreamed I always would be. God, I open my heart and mind to you this morning. Make me what you want me to be. Call me to greatness in your eyes. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's great to have you here this morning. I was reminded this week of um, an event that happened in our life years and years and years ago. When Stacy and I were first married, um, I think our second or third year, maybe second, third year of marriage, she was an elementary school teacher, and she was a fantastic uh, teacher. I, you'll, you'll remember this story when I tell it. And so she was so, you know, thrilled to finally get her opportunity to teach, uh, Five years of education and internship and preparation and all that. And we had moved and moved again and the door just wouldn't open. And so finally there was a teacher on maternity leave and uh, Stacy got to fill in her spot. And she was so excited. She said, uh, whatever day it was, Friday, we're going to have field day. And I want you to come. And I thought, you know... <laughs> Field day. It's hard for me to get quite as excited as she was about going and watching the elementary class full of kids I never met. But I said, but you know what? This is such a big deal to you. I'm, I'm coming. And I, I'm going to tell you, I'm so glad I went because uh, I would have never saw what I saw unless I had gone. So they go out to the playground, and they're doing all these competitions. And she's the teacher of the third grade class. And she is thrilled outside of her mind to be able to teach and to, and to share and to impact and to pour her heart into these kids. And, and so we're out there at field day, and they're going to have these class competitions, and now it's time for tug-of-war. Come on. So, right? How many, how many of you can flash back to elementary school? Is there anything better, come on now, than tug-of-war? They're having tug-of-war, and, and it's come down to the final competition, and it's her third grade against the fourth grade. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, can remember or are aware of the developmental difference between a third grader and a fourth grader. Those 12 months, you know, can equal like 20 to 50 pounds <laughs> per child. And so I went, oh, baby, there's no shot that the third grade is ever going to beat the fourth grade. Maybe something else, you know. But tug of war? I mean, you got these big fourth grade kids in husky pants, you know, these little third graders kind of creeping over there, wide-eyed. And, and, and the school was a very troubled kind of school. So it's like when you had field day, most of the teachers were sort of on smoke break or something. You know, they're sort of over to the side, whatever. Not really in it. And Stacy, she went up to those little third graders and she said, you're going to win. She said, I believe in you and you can do this and you're going to win. And I'm telling you, some of those little kids, I don't think had ever had anybody talk to them like that in their entire life. And they, they stood up like this. We are. 
yes, you are. She said, you're going to win. And so they got over there, and the other teachers were sort of over there under a shade tree, and she was out there in the sun. Go! Come on, baby! Pull! Mama's calling for you! Pull! And those little kids stuck their little clopped off shoes in the dirt, and they were, putting, they were getting sucked in. They were looking at her, and they were looking back and looking at her like, this isn't going to happen. Getting sucked over to the dark side. And she said, Paul, you can do it. Paul, I believe in you. Paul, you remember that? Paul. And those little third graders get in there and took their little tongues out. Their sweaty little hair was pasting their face. And they started. And I was over there in the side. I wasn't on smoke break. But I was over there on the side. And I went, oh, my Lord. I, they're standing their ground. It's kind of a, like nobody's winning. And then they started pulling and pulling and pulling. And they drug those little husky fourth graders right across the line. And they went, whoa! I mean, it was, I was drunk on it. I love it. I love competition. I love, she's so for the underdog. Drug them little kids over there and, oh, Oh, can you imagine being a fourth grader the rest of the school year? Ugh. Can you imagine being a third grader the rest of the school year? That was fabulous. And they won. And it just reminded me how you and I are never going to reach our potential without an investment from someone else. I dare say had there not been somebody there Looking those kids in the eye saying, you can do this. You were made for this. This is your moment. This is your time. You can do it. Believe. I bet they would have never done it. Because they did not look like they were going to do it when we started. They were afraid. But something happened because somebody made an investment in their life and said, you can do this. This new series is called Made for More. Because God, I'm going to challenge you for a month. And I'm going to come every week and I'm going to say the same thing for a month. God made you for more than you know now. God made you for more than you've presently experienced. And this is really, we're going to focus in on 2 Timothy chapter 1 the whole month. So if you want to read along with us, just read it over and over and over. It's a beautiful stretch of scripture. This is what Paul, who wrote the letter of 2 Timothy to Timothy... This is what Paul is saying to Timothy in his final letter. Timothy, you were made for more. Rise up to everything God made you to be. Second Timothy is really a manifesto on mentoring. And so you've got this global kingdom leader who's coming to the end of his life. He's coming to the end of his ministry. He's been put in prison by the Roman government because the Romans are threatened by the Bible and its teaching. And so the only way they know how to deal with it is imprison people who teach the Bible. And so he's in prison. He's in this dark, dirty cell, probably overcrowded. And the only thing Paul can think about is Timothy. He can't get Timothy off his mind. So he grabs a piece of paper and he writes this letter, which, by the way, was the last letter Paul the Apostle ever wrote. It was the final letter, and he wrote much of the New Testament. And it was this final letter, 
And he basically reminds Timothy in the letter, you were made for more. So I've got a question for you this morning. What did God make you for? What, I know God made you to be in relationship with him. That's the greatest call that you and I have. But what did he call you to do? Because he didn't just call you to become something in a vacuum and not, not, not express that in any way. What did God call you for? What did God make you to do? Do you know what your potential is? And how, how close are you fulfilling the potential that God created you for? The, the reality is, like Timothy, like the third grade class, you can't reach your potential by yourself. You need people who invest in your life, who impact your thinking, and who challenge your assumptions. I need that, and you need that. We can't become everything God intended for us to be without it. So Paul and Timothy had this special relationship. Paul mentored Timothy, and, and Timothy was Paul's spiritual, spiritual son. We throw words like spiritual father and mentoring around in the church. The only problem is I'm not sure we really know what it means. What does it look like to be mentored? I mean, you go, well, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> What does it look like to be mentored? What does it look like to be a mentor? What does a mentor do? But the need is here. The need is in the room, and we feel the need. We just don't know what to do with it. A few months ago, I had four men in our church, most of whom I don't think even know each other, within two weeks, contact me and say, can you help me find a mentor? In two weeks. Four men. And, and I don't have the answer, <laughs> but I haven't forgotten. It's weighed heavy on me for three or four months now. And I've been saying, Lord, how, this is important. How, how does this investment happen? Because we don't get to be everything we were called to be without it. So there's got to be a way for it to happen. And, and I've been praying and I've been thinking and and and. I, I recognize we have the need, but we don't often know what to do about it. And I've had you guys on my mind for three or four months. And I've also had on my mind, if four guys ask me in two weeks, how many other men are there in our church? How many other ladies are there in our church who sense the same need and don't know what to do with it or haven't told anybody? Oh, I think a lot more. And, and, so, and so what I want to do this morning before we look at Second Timothy, I, I, I want to do a sidebar, and I want to give you some thoughts on mentoring because the backdrop of the entire book of Second Timothy is the mentoring relationship between Paul and Timothy, one of the greatest mentoring relationships in the entire Bible. And so, and no doubt about it, Paul's greatest disciple. And so, let me give you a few thoughts. If you have something to write with. I just encourage you to take these thoughts down, and, and then we're going to sort of zero in on 2 Timothy 1. We're going to look at one word today, one word, and, and we'll, we'll tie it all together at the end. So here's the first thought. Never ask anyone to be your mentor. <laughs> You're like, this like isn't working. <laughs> Never ask it. They probably don't know what it means. And they probably have never been a mentor, and they've probably never been mentored, and they certainly don't know what you mean by it. 
And so when you throw that out there, people don't know how to interpret that. And I think it does probably more harm than it does good. The people who you really want to mentor you don't have time to mentor you. Mentor sounds like prepare something, write something, get something ready, meet with me once a week until we die a natural death. There's like not a line of people waiting to do that. So, so the people you want to mentor you won't respond that way. They're not going to respond to that. They're not going to respond to, you know, invest your whole self in me. It, it, can sound, it can sound draining. It can sound overwhelming. It can sound complicated. And it, and it does more confusion than it does do good. The people who have the time to mentor you, you probably don't want mentoring you. There's a reason they have a lot of time. Follow me. Okay, so number two. Think about mentoring in terms of subjects and seasons. Subjects and seasons. Think about my, my early thoughts about mentoring were there's this, there's this person that you lock into, you see the attributes in their life that you want in your life, you lock onto them, and you have a father-son relationship, a mother-daughter relationship for life. Don't think about mentoring in terms of lifelong. Think about it in terms of season. In this season, this person is impacting my life. And it might not last for life, and it's okay if it doesn't. It's okay to not know the end. It's okay to not know where it's going. It's okay to not know how long it's going to last. Because what that gives you permission to do is to value what's happening in the present. This is good. That word was good. That thought was good. That moment was good. I receive that, I accept that, and I have grown by that. I don't know if there'll be another one from that person or not. But I'm okay. I accept what was there, I receive it, and, and I move on. If it lasts longer, fantastic. But it doesn't have to last longer to be effective. Think about mentoring in terms of subjects. Don't look for one mentor. There is not one person on earth who knows everything you need to know. There's not one person on earth that knows everything you need to know. We're not trying to make clones. You are a completely unique person. God has created in you a completely unique person that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And so you're not trying to clone someone else. You're not trying to become someone else. You're trying to become you. You're trying to become the you that God created. So you're going to have to learn from multiple people because no one person knows everything you need to know. And so you might say, here's the things that I, I, I really need to grow in now. So from this person, I learn about finance. From this person, I learn about relationships and parenting. From this person, I learn about leadership. From this person, I learn business. From this person, I learn ministry. And I'm going to learn from different people, and they're going to have a contribution into my life to make me what God wanted me to be, not to make me them. And so, and so you have to think about it in terms of subjects. Here's a phenomenal opportunity that you and I have that has not existed very long historically and no other generation has gotten to benefit from until now. And it's things like podcasts. Podcasts are fabulous. You can, you can drive in the car and listen. Blogs, books, all these things. You don't ever have to even meet in person a person that impacts your thinking and challenges your assumptions. You may, I have people who've impacted my life deeply who I've never met once. 
but they have impacted me. They have shaped me. They have shaped my thinking. They have formed my ideas on certain subjects. They have changed my actions in certain ways. You don't, you don't ever have to meet them. I, I, I can remember uh, when I was... Um, when I was a young person just out of high school and I was going to go to college to train for ministry and I, I wasn't financially able to do that, so I had to stay home and work two or three jobs for, for a year. So I did. One of the jobs I worked is I drove for a hospital a bus. And, and I drove that bus and I'm sitting in there, you know, I don't know if you've ever done any, any work like that. Like I'm much more action-oriented. Sitting in a seat behind a wheel eight hours a day is like not fun. <laughs> It's not my deal. I'd rather get out and do something. Standing in that, in that little prison on wheels, I'm in there and I'm going, okay, Jesus, what does this like have to do with anything? <laughs> what am I doing in this coffin? I, I'm stuck. And it just so happens I found uh, 6.40 uh, a.m. in Memphis radio station. I think it was WWCRV maybe. And they broadcast preaching and teaching all day long, hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. And so I, I would get there at 8 o'clock in the morning. I would flip that on, or 7.30, I'd flip it on. And at 3.30 when I left, I'd flip it off. And I listened to preaching hour after hour after hour after hour after hour, day in and day out and day in, month in and month out, for about 15 months. And, 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 and I was thinking this week how many of the people that I listened to that impacted my life. And look, I'm just going to list a bunch of people when I do. If you've heard of them, just raise your hand. I just, I just want to see uh, who, who's impacted you. Larry Burkett, Dr. James Dobson, Marlon Maddox. Probably never, anybody heard of Marlon Maddox? Probably not. Uh, David Hawking from Biola University. Uh, uh, yeah, our Out West friends. <laughs> Adrian Rogers. Yeah. John MacArthur, Chuck Smith, Jack Hayford, D. James Kennedy, David Jeremiah. Okay, I'm going to go old school. J. Vernon McGee. Yes? You guys heard? Frankly, dear friends. Remember him? He was all crusty old guy. He was fun, though, wasn't he? He'd tell you like it was, though. He didn't care. Look. Eight hours a day, I listened to every one of those guys every week, week in, week out, day in, day out, and they mentored me and they shaped me. And maybe you'd be thinking, a guy that listened to that much ought to be better. Well, I can't control that. You don't know how bad I was when I started. I'm just saying, <laughs> eight hours a day, I, I, you don't, I've never met one of them. Not once. I've never seen one of them in person. Anywhere. But they impacted my life. Look. Two weeks ago, I got the opportunity to go to Big City Studios, our children's ministry. In seven years, I've never had the opportunity to go and stand and watch and see what our children's ministry does. Can I tell you something? I left that room two weeks ago. My heart was so full, I wanted to go on top of the roof of the church, and I wanted to scream and say, if you've got children, they need to be in here because you have no idea what they're missing. It, it and, I, and I partly wept because I went... I wish I'd have had that. Man, at the church I grew up in, I was one of five kids between 5 and 15 years old. I didn't have anything like that. And I just want to say to you, you want someone to invest in your life and your children's life, get them into the children's ministry. We have an unbelievable staff in there, unbelievable team. I went from there to, uh, to Epic Middle. 
incredible team of people serving middle school. I wouldn't trade places with any middle school kid in the world today. Forget Fountain of Youth, forget being young. It's miserable to be 6th to 8th grade. You're going through all kinds of transformations. I don't want to go back to that. How important it is to minister to people in that season, specifically to that season. Incredible. And I was so impressed with the worship team. And the worship, they have worship there. They're not doing sing-along. They have worship. It was powerful. And, and, and I think about the opportunity. Wednesday night, last Wednesday night, I went to Epic Youth Service. Uh, 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 middle school and high school. Our entire Kingwood Christian School uh, JV and varsity football team came to youth service. We were doing football camp, and so that was their, that was their service time. They came to service on Wednesday night. And it was incredible. Twelve young people raised their hand and prayed to follow Jesus. It was incredible. It was incredible. Now, now here's what I want you to see, though. We have a youth pastor who has his doctorate degree in spiritual formation. You have a person working with 14-year-olds with a doctorate degree in spiritual formation. Do you know where else that's happening? Nowhere. <laughs> Nowhere. It's not happening anywhere. And, you, and on this pastoral team, you've got a person with a doctorate. You've got three people with master's degrees. I added it up this week. You have 175 years of combined pastoral experience. In this church, you have lay leaders who have served in the role they're in or in other roles for decades, some 25, 30, 35 years. You have to put yourself in environments where people can impact your thinking, where they can impact and shape and iron sharpens iron and allow you to rise up to be everything God wants you to be. We created a, I'm going to talk to you about this the whole month, we created a, a step of four classes we call Life Streams. I don't know why we can't seem to get the idea out there that it's not for new Christians. It is for new Christians, but it's not only for new Christians. It's for anybody who wants to grow and who wants to find their place in the kingdom. So our class, four classes are taught by five pastors in our church. And, and we have narrowed down the four most important things in the Christian life and how to live them. And so I'm going to be encouraging you to go to our website, kingwoodchurch.com, find the live streams button, push it, you can sign up. We're offering two full tracks this fall, September and October. I want to encourage you to get in if you haven't. And we'll be talking more about that as the, as the month goes on. So, let someone impact your life. So here's the third thing. Ask someone. Now, here's how you ask. Well, you trick them. <laughs> you say, hey, could, could we get some coffee, lunch, dinner, breakfast, whatever? I'll email you. Look, I have three questions that I'd really like to hear your thoughts on. I'll, I'll give them to you in advance. Could we just meet and talk about that? And just meet. You, you, just meet. That's it, meet once. And if it goes well for them and you say, would it be okay if we did this again sometime? And if they say yes, yes. You may walk away and say, I don't want to hear another word they have to say. <laughs> that did not work out. Apparently I don't have discernment. But 
it gets you started. So what you've said to the person is this, I think you're really good at something, I know you're busy, I don't want to waste your time, I don't want to drain you, I'll accommodate to you. Now here's the fourth one, ask God to show you people you haven't seen. Ask God for divine appointments, ask God uh, uh, that you would see the opportunity that's there. When you let someone else impact your life, your faith will skyrocket. When you let someone else impact your thinking and your action and what you do, in the backdrop of 2 Timothy's, the call of God on Timothy to greatness and and this relationship between Paul and Timothy. So during August, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through 2 Timothy 1, and I believe if you get this series, if you get it, if you can grab on to what's being said in this series, you are going to take concrete steps toward what God wants you to be and wants you to do. And so this morning, we're going to zoom in for a few minutes on just one word. But before we do that, I I, I want to give you a little bit of backdrop so you can kind of see how all this happened. Uh, In in Jesus' time and Paul and Timothy's time, the Greek and Roman culture were thriving. They were very into philosophy and, and, and physical stamina and athletics and competition. And they were very much into the arts and theater theaters were popping up all over the world at that time. And in fact, in the town where Timothy lived, the city, probably a quarter million people of Ephesus, there was a giant theater that sat 25,000 people. And so in that day, what would happen is you'd go to these giant theaters and and actors, people, the the word that was used in that day was eupachristes. Eupachristes would come onto the stage, they'd have a bag. In that bag, they would have masks. And what they would do is they would go on stage, they'd pull a mask out, and then they would, they would act, whatever the mask was, they would act like that. And, 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 so, and so imagine now for a minute, this word eupachriste is where we get our word hypocrite. It means actor. And so you have these eupachristes on stage, two of them, each with a bag, and they're acting, and they've got these masks on, and they throw the mask up, and they're trying to decide, you know, who am I going to be? What accent am I going to use? What tone of voice am I going to use? And, and you, you watch this drama play out. But, uh, so when, when Jesus was on earth, he began to be troubled. Think about the culture that he lived in. He began to be troubled because he began to notice that many of the religious leaders and some of the followers of God were acting. They were eupachristes. And and Jesus had some really strong words for them. In Matthew 6, 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the actors. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they'll have received their reward in full. In verse 16, he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the actors do. Seventeen times, Jesus gives this warning. Do not be an actor. Do not wear a mask. Do not be a eupachriste. 17 times. Don't be a person who acts one way at work and another way at home and another way at church and another way in the community and wherever. Your responsibility is to focus on what God wants to do in you and through you. Now, the Roman and Greek culture were a little bit nervous about this idea of mask acting because they had a fear that, that, a, that a person, when they would take on, they didn't want them to be one character for too long. 
Because they feared if a person was one character for too long, they would become that person. Now, we would know that in modern acting terms as method acting. Dustin Hoffman is a method actor. He tries to become the character. I mean, that's what he tries to come to take on the full persona. Uh, you, know, you know who else was a method actor was Heath Ledger. If you've seen The Dark Knight, he was a method actor. And he tried to fully become the Joker. And there's stories about how bizarre and painful and all of that that was for him. But, but here was the concern. Something happens when we live under the mask too long. It actually changes who we are. We cannot act forever. We eventually become someone else. So here's Paul 800 miles away from Timothy in a Roman prison writing his last letter and he says these words to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 3-5. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your, here's the word, here's the single word we're going to focus on. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That's the word, sincere. Which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. So the question I have for you this morning is, is your faith sincere or would there be another word that you could fill in the blank and use to describe your faith? What other word would be a more accurate description of your faith if it wasn't sincere? What would it be? Now, the root word for sincere here in, in this verse is the same word that Jesus used in his warning for the word hypocrite or actor. I see your, but it's combined with one other Greek word that reverses it. So basically, what this verse says is, I see your not acting faith. I see your faith that's not fake, that's not hypocritical, that is real. I see your sincere faith. It's the exact same word. It literally means not a hypocrite faith. So to be sincere, you've dropped the mask. You're, you're not playing what the world has taught you to play. In every context in our life, we bring this bag in with us. And we have to make a conscious decision whether we're going to pull that mask out of the bag. We're home and the pressure comes. We're going to pull that mask. We're at work. We're going to pull that mask. And so this morning, I just wanted to bring quickly uh, a few masks that we, we are tempted to wear. The first one is the performer. The performer. Oh, yeah. Come on now. Come on, come on, comic hero friends. Where are you? Somebody help me. Don't leave me out here by myself. Iron Man. The performer. If, you're, if you wear this mask, you find your identity in your success. You love to flip the switch and be on. You like to be recognized. You, you've built up an identity around what people think about you. Image is very important to you. You've built a persona. And if you wear this mask, you often find your identity in your accomplishments. But what happens when you fail? What happens when things don't work out right? Do you carry that identity? How would you describe your faith through this mask. It might not be sincere faith, it might be performance faith. So when we describe our faith, we begin to describe it in terms of things we've done or accomplished. I've been at this church this long. I taught Sunday school this long. I did this. I did that. I'm a good person. I did the right thing. We perform, we perform, we perform. I'm a good parent. I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. I, my faith is determined by my good actions which is absolutely the opposite of what the Bible teaches us about grace. Grace isn't an accomplishment, it's a gift. 
It's the gift of God. Grace is not what I've made. Grace is what God has done. And so the second mask is the pleaser. Well, for those of you this morning who wear that mask sometime, you know, <laughs> you help everybody. I just want to be helpful. I just, I, you know, I just, that's just what I do. What's amazing about pleasers is, is they have an ear to, to know every one of your needs, sometimes even before you know it. And they jump to action. I just thought you might need this. What they don't have a very good ear for, though, is God's voice. Or their own needs. Because they're constantly in tune with pleasing and pleasing and helping and pleasing. And like a tree that bends toward the needs of everyone, that tree one day will break. They're fixated on fixing other people's problems. Often to the point of self-neglect, neglecting their own soul. Now if that's you... Maybe your fear is, if I can't make everybody happy, I'll be excluded. Would your faith be described as sincere faith or, or pleasing faith? Caught up in pleasing everyone else so that we can't even hear God, what God wants to do. So another mask that we wear is the perfector. The perfector. The perfect. The, the you do everything right all the time. You have such a high standard. Nobody can meet up to it. Even God can't meet it for you. You can't meet your own standard. You're oftentimes critical of yourself. You're oftentimes critical of other people. You can't show your weakness. You have to have it all together all the time. Your family is good. Your job is good. Your marriage is good. Your life is good. Your mind is good. Life is exactly the way you want it because it's perfect because you've made it that way. And on the outside, you look so good. You look so good on the outside. Everything looks so good. People admire you. People want to be you. But your faith is lived out like a person who has it all together. I don't have any problems. But do you struggle being authentic? Do you struggle with transparency? Would your faith be sincere or would it be perfect? Would it be sincere or would it be right? And, and then the last one is the pretender. The pretender. You know, somebody asks you, hey, hey, have you seen that new movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. You had not seen the movie. <laughs> Pretending. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. Hey, hey, have you read that new book? Oh, man, that new book is awesome. I loved it. I love that guy, and I love that. I love all of that. And they said, well, how did you get a copy? It's not out yet. Oh, I, just, I, just, I got a friend, a thing, knows a guy, similar to the deal, and they said, oh, it's good. It's good. People are all standing around in a circle talking about all these awesome trips they've been on. You go, oh yeah, that's like that time that I went to Bora Bora. It was incredible. The water was awesome. The beach was awesome. And you know you pick somewhere you think nobody else has ever been. So they don't ask you nothing. On the way home, you go, why did I say that? I've never been there. Why did I do that? Pretender. Pretender. Just, just pretending. Putting out that idea. Why, why, why is it so hard to mean what you say and say what you mean? Why is it so hard to just simply say, I don't know? I don't know. There's something inside us that believes that we'll be left out if we don't pretend. So, so let, let's, do, let's, let's put it in our context here and, and, and do a couple of them. So someone is sharing a challenge, and you are so engaged by their struggle and what they're going through. And before you know it, you have committed to pray for them every day till Jesus comes. Pray for you. 
I will be there. I'm going to be in there. Really? Really are you going to do that? Or does does it seem like the right thing to say? You know, it's kind of the equivalent in the South of, well, bless your heart. (laughs) Not really really anything, no substance. I, I am at worship service every week. Really? Really? Every week, I'm always there. I'm always, always there. Paul said to Timothy, hey, one thing I appreciate about you, Timothy, is your faith is not acting. Now, Timothy had a whole bunch of problems. We're going to get into those. But he says, hey, I appreciate your sincere faith. Drop that mask. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Have a sincere faith. You know the crazy thing about masks? Is we wear them to cover up something. They're not there for, for no reason. We wear them to cover up something, and when you drop the mask, you're able to be seen, and you're able to be known, and you're able to be weak, and you're able to be strong, and you're able to be you, and you're able to be sincere. Why can't we just say, you know what, I'm on a journey. There are gaps in my faith, and there are gaps in my maturity, and there are gaps in my relationship with God, but you know what, I'm on a journey, and, I, and I'm, I'm getting better, I'm getting there. But, you know, if I'm honest, there's just some things that are there that I need to deal with. Okay, so are you ready for a little extra credit this morning? A little, little, little extra credit like school? You know, the performers are saying, hurry up, hurry up. You know, that should have already been on the screen by now. Why didn't it up there? That, that, that's, that's what the performers say. The pleasers say, I'm not going to do it, but I'll help you. Perfectionists say, just do it however you want. It doesn't matter because when I get home, I'm going to do it again and I'm going to do it right. The pretenders say, I already did it. I did it. I knew what you were going to do and I already did it. Did it last week. It was ready. If you look at the mask, I want you to think about a couple things this week. One is, what's your primary mask? Which one of these masks do you, is your go-to? Which one do you wear? And maybe, maybe you wear different ones in different environments. But which one is kind of your default setting? And what, why do you do it? What is the mask covering up? What wound is behind there? Maybe you perform because it was the only way you could get the attention of that parent or that person or that group that should have given you the right attention anyway, and the only way you could get it is to become a performer. And so that's your go-to. Maybe you could only feel accepted if you kept the peace and pleased your family so you became a pleaser. Maybe everything around you was chaos and you just had to shut in and rigidly set everything in order in your life to be perfect. I don't know if you've ever uh, read the book uh, uh, Personality Plus by Florence Littower. She, she describes a fascinating way that we wear masks and personalities. She calls them, uh, I think she calls it mask personality, personality, whatever. But here's what happens. Do you know the number one uh, personality mask that are seen in, in, uh, uh, in women. Extroverted little girls tend to be the ones that are abused the most because they're bubbly and, and all of that. And they draw the wrong kind of attention, completely unintentional on their part. But they draw the wrong kind of attention and abuse happens. And then so many times, what she says in the book, 
is those little girls put on a mask and they become more introverted perfectionist. And they do that because they wrongly believe the reason I was abused is because I did something wrong and caused it. And if I just do everything right, nobody will ever abuse me again. And I, I'm telling you, there are, there are women and, and some, some even men in this room that that happened to you as a child and you took on that mask. I'm just saying this as an example to say masks don't come on by accident. People take them on and then you spend the rest of your life trying to hide and being perfect so that nothing like that will ever happen again. And, and it's a mask that we're, maybe you felt neglected and it was just easier to pretend than it was to deal with the pain of maybe not being accepted. When we were in the Nehemiah study, I, I, I heard God whisper to my heart that whole idea of the awe of God. Nehemiah challenges the leaders of Israel. You have to treat each other right because the awe of God requires it. The fear of the Lord, he calls it. We would understand it better as the awe of God, the awesomeness of God. In light of who God is, you, you, you can't mistreat each other. And, and, and that resonates perfectly with what Paul is telling Timothy. Have sincere faith. I, I was describing that a couple weeks ago, and Pastor Joel uh, said to me, he said, do you know how we teach children that concept of sincere faith? I said, no, how, how do you do that? He said, here's what we say. Take God seriously. Oh, I said, I love that. That's good. That's good. Sincere faith is taking God seriously. This isn't a joke. This isn't a game. This isn't a little shallow cultural thing. This is the real deal. Would your faith be described as one where you take God seriously? Serious. Doesn't mean we don't laugh. Doesn't mean we don't find humor. But with the things that God wants to do and wants to say and wants us to become, we're seriously engaged. It's not a, it's not a hobby. It's not a pastime. It's not a side thing. It's the main thing. Seriously engaged in what God is saying and doing. Paul said to Timothy, I see you. I see you. I see your weaknesses. I see your strengths. I know you. I'm your spiritual father. Timothy had no father in the faith other than Paul. Here's Paul in a prison at the end of his life saying, Son, I see you. And I love you. Drop the mask. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I want you to be everything God wants you to be. And I'm calling that out of your soul. Rise. That's how, that's how the letter opens. <laughs> Whoa. Are we in for it? God is stirring my heart. And, and I hear him whispering to my soul in this season. It's time to rise. 
It's time for you to rise. It's time for me to rise. It's time for Kingwood Church to rise. Now is the time to move toward what God made you for. So I want to ask you if you would stand with me, and I'm going to ask all of our prayer team, every prayer team member we got in the house, I want every prayer team member here. And if you would just find a place you can be still and close your eyes, I want to invite you into prayer. Just however you can do it, just find a comfortable place where you can be still and close your eyes. Every eye closed. Just just lock in. Just lock in with me this morning. Lock in with me this morning. I want to invite you to prayer. God is stirring our hearts. Maybe you're here today and you say, I hear him whispering to me, this is the season for me to rise. It's time for me to drop a mask. It's time for me to drop some mask. It's time for me to to take off this thing that's covering me so that I may come up under the covering of God fully. Maybe some healing needs to happen. Maybe you need to forgive or be forgiven. Maybe God's whispered to you today and you realize why you wear the mask. Maybe it's time for you to learn from a few other people. Maybe it's time for you to open yourself to the investment of some other people. Here's what I want you to do. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to respond for prayer. God is stirring your heart. It's not about what I said. It's not about did I use the right story or not. It's not about any of that. There's only one thing that matters now. Is God stirring your heart? It could be inner healing. It could be taking a step of faith. It could be being brave. It could be trusting God for something. I don't know what it's going to be. There's only one thing that matters. Do you feel the stirring of God? Do you hear Him call you? So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to wait. Nobody move. Nobody respond yet. We're just going to take a minute, worship him, just keep playing. And as I prayed for you this morning, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, just invite them to wait on me. Just invite them to wait on me. And so this morning, I'm going to give you one minute. And for one minute, we're going to wait. And then I'm going to call you to prayer. So would you just open your spirit, open your soul to God just stand and wait. Maybe you want to say that. God, I'm waiting on you. God, I'm just here waiting on you. Or speak to me as you want to. Say to me what you want to say. Waiting on you. Now let's just wait.
every eye closed. If God has stirred your heart, I just want you to slip away from where you are. We'll let everybody else go in a minute. I just want you to slip away from where you are right now. And I want you to come to one of the prayer team. Or maybe come and find a place of prayer. And respond. Answer the call. Come now. Come now. Anybody else that's uh, been on the prayer team, I need you to come. Any other pastors we have in the service, I need you to come. Anybody else, I need you to come now. We need your help. If God's calling you, that's what this is about. You don't even have to be able to define it. But there's something happening in your soul this morning. And you know it. God's calling. He's calling. I'm going to pray for you. And our prayer team is going to stay. And after I pray for you as quietly as you can, if you'll just find your way out. And I'm begging you to come back next Sunday and join us for the second message in this series. Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that was put in you. I'm I'm just, like I've never, I've never, I'm begging you. God's doing some powerful things and this will be part of it for you. Lord, I thank you today for the love of God and the goodness of God we feel in this house. We respond to you, Lord, not to any other thing, not to any prodding. Or We feel a stir inside ourselves, and we walk toward you with it. God, I pray that you would help the people of Kingwood Church, help all of us to drop the mask, to live in faith, to have sincere faith, to walk in bravery and courage with you that the chains would be broken off our life, that we wouldn't be one person in one place and another in another one. Lord, we would bravely stand and be who you want us to be. God, I pray that you would heal the wounds that caused us to pick the mask up in the first place. God, we look to you now, our Father, our friend, our healer. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Just exit quietly if you need to go. Thank you for being here today.